Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have a wonderful conversation with Gustav Eden. In this episode, Gustav describes the impact of winning the Ironman 70.3 world title had on his life. And he shares an incredible story about wearing a Taiwanese hat that he'd found on the side of the road in Japan to victory at the 70.3 Ironman World Championships and how that event went viral in Taiwan and had such a huge influence on him signing with Taiwanese bike company Giant Bikes because of it. It really is a remarkable story. Gustav also describes the fact that he's a naturally confident guy but hopes it doesn't come across as arrogance and the fact that his VO2 max has been tested at 92, which is one of the biggest scores in history. Consider the fact that an average man has a VO2 max of around 60 And it's no surprise that Gustav can deliver so much oxygen to his body. We discussed the Challenge Daytona event in detail and Gustav shares the importance of winning Challenge Daytona to let his fans and sponsors know that Ironman 70.3 in 2019 wasn't just a one-hit wonder and it wasn't a fluke. So many great stories in this one. Now, before we go on, if you're enjoying the show, please share and subscribe. You'd be doing me a huge favor. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, uh, I'd love a review on there. That would really help me out and, and get it out to more people as well. Thanks for all the feedback. I'm striving to make this show better for you guys and give you a great show. So thank you again for listening. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. I'm so grateful for the continued support of the show from these incredible sponsors. You really do need to have these products in your life. Personally, I use each of them daily. Athletic Greens, Nutritional Beverage, Hyper Ice Recovery Tools, and the Glutathione Supplement, Continual G. What I love about Athletic Greens is its simplicity. It's delivered straight to your door and it takes seconds to mix with water. It tastes great and goes down easy. And I know I'm getting the most comprehensive nutritional beverage on the planet in one quick drink. If you're looking for one product that has as much high quality nutrients in it as possible, then you want to consider Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is more than just a multivitamin and multimineral. It takes it to the next level, adding a daily dose of superfoods, probiotics, greens blend, and more to support the gut health, energy, immunity, and stress. And right now, Athletic Greens is giving you, my audience, a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula. You'll receive one year supply of vitamin D and five travel packs for free with your first purchase for additional immune support. Many of the population are vitamin D deficient, including myself. I focus heavily in getting in the sun throughout the day, but when I can't, I religiously supplement with vitamin D. Adding vitamin D to your daily routine is just a great way to support vitamin D production. So if you're looking to get more out of your multivitamin and invest in your immunity, energy, and gut health, then you'll struggle to find anything more comprehensive than athletic greens. Take ownership of your health today and receive comprehensive nutritional insurance, a free year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, you'll hear me mention Normatec and Hypervolt from Hyperice in several of the conversations with my guests in this show. Many of my guests and I are using these recovery tools religiously. 
You really must have them in your house. Sit in a pair of Normatec boots at the end of a long day. Use the Hypervolt percussion massage device to warm up muscles and loosen hot spots before working out or anytime you have a niggling injury. They're just so easy and they're so quick and they work. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology and Normatec compression systems just help you warm up faster, recover quicker and simply move better. Seriously, these products are the perfect Christmas gift for any family member or good friend. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. I have a web address for all of my listeners who already know that one, the human body makes the most powerful antioxidants on earth. Two, the master antioxidant your body cells make is called glutathione and the human body needs glutathione to live. Three, the reason I'm addressing a select group of listeners with this web address is that once you see what these scientists in my hometown, Sydney, have accomplished, it'll blow your mind. Go check out continualg.com, continualg.com. That's C-O-N-T-I-N-U-A-L-G.com. Check it out and let them know that I told you about it. All right, today's guest is spearheading the next generation of superstar triathletes. At 24, he's already won the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and more recently, the Challenge Daytona PTO Championships. Both events had two of the greatest fields ever established in the world of triathlon. And both events... He put on a display that indicates that the next generation are here and they're taking the sport further than any of us thought possible. He's part of the Norwegian clan that are taking the world by storm. Alongside his training partners, 2019 World Championship Grand Final winner Christian Blumenfeld and World Triathlon Series podium finisher Kasper Stornes. It's exciting to watch this new generation in the sport of triathlon continue to summit new heights. It's a real privilege to have the man of the hour on the show. So welcome and thank you for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show, Gustav Eden. How are you, mate? Wow, what an introduction! First off, yeah, that was amazing. It's good to hear. <laughs> it's good to hear something about myself. So uh, I'm loving that introduction. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, and you? Good, good, very good. Have you come down since your performance the other week? Uh, yes, actually, I have come down quite a bit because I've been uh, locked up in quarantine back home in Norway. Um, and it's basically nothing to do. No one wants to celebrate me. So I've been like stuck at home in my own thoughts and uh, like some home gym and some running outside, but mostly very quiet. Oh, that's a bit, that's a bit average, isn't it? So no big parties or celebrations. No, yeah. <laughs> it was that's a big a difference. Uh, nice last year, then it was like a huge celebration with like uh, the whole team Norway who was down there and like the award ceremonies and everything. But now in Daytona, I was alone in my hotel room and yeah, it was a bit kind of sad, but also nice to just be by myself. I know. Well, you can really let it sink in. I mean, yeah. I think all of us were starved this year for for a, a championship style event. Um, you know, we had the the WTS World Championships in Hamburg, but that also had no crowds or, or, or anything. At least Daytona, we had a little bit of crowds and things. Um You've done all of these events. I mean, you this last five to six months, you've actually been able to get out, well, not five to six months, probably three to four months, you've been able to get out and do a, a number of events. Do you think that was uh, a big help getting ready for Daytona, that you had a little race experience under your belt? Uh, yeah, for sure. 
But I mean, it's not the same uh, distance or same kind type of event. But every race is like uh, it gets you better for the next event, no matter if it's slim similar or not. So I have been so lucky to be able to uh, to race actually quite mm. a lot this year. Mm. And in the start, I just raced whatever I could. I did some local five Ks here back in Norway. And uh, when I first started up with uh, the World Series or the World Championship in Hamburg, since then it has been, yeah, some races. So I've been managed to to get something out of this strange year. Yeah, but it's been a, you've been really consistent, actually. I mean, you've had a lot of those sort of top ten. I think you were eleventh at Hamburg, which was an outstandingly, outstanding performance when how close the field was in in Hamburg. But you've been there or thereabouts, and then coming into this race in Challenge Daytona, you. Was there uncertainty still in your mind that it would go ahead or were you just training full steam ahead, believing it would happen? Yeah, for sure. I was uh, quite uncertain if it would happen or not. So uh, I had my doubts until maybe like two weeks from it. And then like I saw everything that I've built up around it and uh, how certain the the PTO was that was going to go ahead. So then I was like, okay, now it's time to order my flight tickets because I didn't want to order them too early and then I have to cancel them again. So uh, I guess like two weeks before then I was 100% certain what, that it was take part. Where were you training? Where were you preparing the final steps? So uh, after the World Cup in Valencia, uh, end of November, I got back home. To Norway, and I had to take a 10 days quarantine since I was in Spain. <laughs> so, uh, like three weeks out from the race, I had uh, not swam for almost two weeks. Oh, jeez. So, but I, I was like landing or deciding on should I just stay in Spain or and train there and then travel straight to the US, but then I have to get my TT bike down there, or should I just get home? just take my quarantine, just accept that my swim will be lacking or should I like go somewhere else? So uh, Christian actually went to Bahrain to train. He went uh, one day back home and then went down with his TT bike and I was like, should I go with him or should I not? But I think it was okay to to get some days back home before I went to the US. Mm. And what was, I mean, Christian and you are obviously pretty close. I've enjoyed some of watching the videos of you guys and you guys really do take the piss out of each other a bit, which is a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, when you heard the news that he was pulled out of the race, was it, I mean, you guys really seem to want the best for each other. You want you want the challenge of beating each other, but you really do seem to want the best for each other. What was, what was your feelings when you heard he wasn't racing Daytona? Uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, that big of a news for me because obviously we we talked together, so I knew he hadn't been running. He had been like sort of running uphill on a treadmill and walking and such. So I know he didn't have the legs to really compete. But uh, when it was like officially that he he didn't uh, race in Daytona, I was really disappointed because I really wanted him to be there. Yeah, I, I was sorry myself not to, you know, I had him on the show early in the year and he, I'm, a, I'm such a huge fan of all of you guys of what you're doing. But when I had him on the show, I was kind of, I was really rooting for him to have a strong year. So it's always disappointing when you see somebody come out with an injury, but that's kind of as a professional athlete, you're always living on that knife's edge, you know, and sometimes you just overstep it and it's like, ah, right at the last minute. So that was disappointing. Now let's move on to the actual race itself. Um, when I looked at the races and I wanted to compare Ironman 70.3 world champs last year in Nice 
that had incredible climbing and, and technical skills needed for the descending compared to Challenge Daytona, which I think was poof, perfectly suited to the big, strong powerhouse cyclists, um, basically because we, you know, the power to weight doesn't matter when you're riding flat. Uh, plus the swim was relatively short and the, the run was short. So I actually thought we, you know, the, the, the powerhouse, the big guys would really get ahead on, on the bike. And after your exceptional 70.3 last year in, in Nice, what were your thoughts coming into a race that was basically a complete contrast to the one you'd won a year earlier? Yeah, I had uh, the same analysis as you. I I thought this course was much better suited for the big long distance guys than the standard like smaller ITU run, runners. Mm. Mm. Uh, so I knew my chances were not as big as in this because in this the course was basically built for me. I at least that was my view of it. I had like the perfect body or like mm-hmm. yeah the perfect abilities to race in this. So Daytona was something different. I didn't think the course was something built for me but uh, still the distance is really up my alley and uh, I thought I still could be able to perform there even though the course wasn't like perfect for me and yeah. even though I'm not like the the biggest guy I'm not like small either and my aero position on the bike is actually not that bad considering I'm not spending too much time on a TT so mm. uh, I knew that uh, it is possible for me to perform here yeah I was actually surprised I didn't think the bike did as much damage apart from there were the guys that cramped and had issues but in general the bike times in daytona weren't substantially different um you know i think uh lionel sanders was about the third fastest bikes but sam long um ditlev had the fastest but you were only sort of 230 behind them uh there was a whole bunch of guys in that little window there that the bike actually didn't seem to impact as much as I thought potentially it could. And what that meant to me is, look, as much as we all like to say the ITU guys know how to swim and run, I think it made it very clear that the ITU guys also know how to bike very, very well because I think you all did incredibly well um, going that little bit longer and, and, and the flat. And then you, what it looked like to me is everybody got off the bike completely exhausted except for yourself and probably Matt Hansen who, who ran into second did, how did that feel to you when you actually got off the bike and you started running? I can tell you for one thing, I was not feeling fresh off the bike. <laughs> I uh, I also had a tendency to cramp up in my my glutes and lower back off the bike. Mm. So I actually think the the bike was so much more brutal than it looks on TV. And the reason why the the difference between the times was not that big is because it was basically yeah, but if you lower the power output by 50%, I guess the speed uh, output is just like 20% lower. So even though you're getting quite tired in the end and uh, are like low on the power, you don't lose as much. And that's, mm. I just think that's the reason why the time difference is not that big. But if you look at power difference and if it be like a slight uphill and something towards the end of the bike, I think you said see a huge difference in time. Yeah, but, uh, like going off the bike, I felt not good at all, and uh, like just the T two, I had to to mount my shoe or take off my shoe twice because I was cramping up 
so badly in my glutes oh. that I had to walk like the first five steps of the bike and I was really uncertain on how I was able to pull this off but then like 1k later my body really just woke up and I felt pretty good I know and then you just sort of honestly both you and Paula Finley the way that you both raced and it never looked it looked almost like a training day you look like you had another gear once you got going in the run is that how it felt uh yeah i didn't really have the pressure on me the last uh, 5k so then i slowed down a bit because it's hard to motivate yourself to uh, really push that hard <laughs> when it's not that many people up close and the last time check i got was you're like 110 in front of the other guys and to uh, run harder just because you want to win by over a minute, that's kind of uh, a strange way to motivate myself. So I, I didn't have like the the mental toughness to really dig my deep best. So I had an extra gear if I like wanted to, but I'm glad I didn't have to. Yeah, but you did, in, you did the year before in, in Nice where you yeah. almost won by three minutes over Alistair Brownlee. And that was your real moment where we were like, whoa. Who is yeah, this guy it, and what it is it he about? It needs a difference. Then I was running on pure like adrenaline and it was mm-hmm. like people all over the course and it was less like everyone cheering me ahead. But in Daytona, it was just me all alone around the track with like a camera, <laughs> camera car there. And it was like, it's not as motivating to just run by yourself as like when you have uh, thousands of people uh, cheering you on. I know you need you need the crowds to go that yeah. that, extra, that extra gear. Well, I once did. I once screwed myself up. I had um, a little side story of my own. Sorry if I if you if I'm boring you, but I remember Escape from Alcatraz was the big triathlon back you know 15 20 years ago, and Chris McCormack had won it for many many times. And I got there and I thought, you know what? If I get off the bike with Chris McCormack and Craig Walton, I can outrun them. I'm, I'm doing pretty well here. I got off the bike a minute in front, and rather than going okay, you've got a minute lead, pace this run well. I had this attitude, okay, I'm going to crush him. You know, it was this, and I ran so hard. And by the halfway turnaround the run, I was up to three minute lead. And on the <laughs> way home, I completely blew to pieces to the point that they actually, I had to walk the final two or three kilometers, finished way, way back, completely no. dehydrated, had two IVs. What I, my whole point of that was just how stupid I was that I, I wasn't smart at all. And, and I think the more you get used to winning, you have those moments where it's like, no, you know, you don't have to win by three minutes. You just have, <laughs> have to win. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but did you think, you know, there was a lot of buildup leading into this race and people were talking obviously a lot about Alistair Brownlee and Javier Gomez and, I your name was mentioned, but not as much as perhaps you know a Lionel Sanders and these other guys. Did you notice that yourself? Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of people, uh, especially Sanders, Alistair, and uh, Vincent was like the three mm. podium uh, candidates I saw the most. And mm. uh, yeah, it was it wasn't a surprise that I was not one of them. I mean, uh, I haven't raced too much long distance or half distance before so even though i won this i guess people just thought that uh, it was only the course that made me win and not uh, me as an athlete and the distance so i am kind of understanding that they are not really building myself up as much and everyone has like their own favorites and mm-hmm. being kind of like new to the whole uh, long distance circus i don't think people have me as a, a favorite and uh 
or as like a crowd favorite. So even mm-hmm. though I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, I'm a good athlete. I'm not like that, the most popular athlete yet. But hopefully, I can build it up even more in the coming years. Well- well, I think that's definitely changed. I think backing up your niece, you know, your, your 70.3 world champs with this performance, I think there's going to be a lot more attention going forward. <laughs> you know, I, it's like fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I get that the other way around. Sorry, but the other way around, it's like, were you worried when you came out of the water and you'd, you'd lost about a minute 20 or were you actually thinking that seemed about right? Uh, when I got out of the water, I wasn't that worried. Uh, I knew because I... Uh, as I told you earlier, I had a 10 days quarantine with mm. very limited swimming. Um, that my swim shape was not the greatest. My swim fitness was actually quite bad. I had one good session in the pool. And the only reason that was a good session was because I was swimming with a wetsuit. <laughs> so uh, I, I had like no um, confidence in the swim in Daytona. Um, mm. So I knew like that was possibly what I was to expect. I, of course, hoped to be with the first group, but uh, yeah, it was like realistic chance. I had like yeah, maybe 50-50 to be with the first group or, or not. Mm. So when I first got out of the water, I was not uh, too pessimistic for being able to pull off a win. Mm. But when we started cycling and uh, so many people, or not too many, but some athletes amongst like Rudy, especially Rudy. He was so fast when he passed me. I had no chance to follow him. And that was when I started to get worried because I was cycling slightly above my targeted power, which was like 3.30. And still he was like zooming past me so fast. (laughs) And I thought that me and my coach had made a huge mistake here and like underestimated the whole thing. And I was quite worried that... uh, that even on my on a good day that I was not able to finish top ten, but still mm. I had no I didn't think to go over my assigned race plan because it was no point for me to ride harder than plan and then just run much worse. So uh, instead of trying to follow him, I just stuck with my plan and hoped that uh, they were just overriding and I was not uh, losing as much as I thought. Is is that what you meant? I heard you post race said I just race smart. I race smart. Is that what, is that one of the things you were talking about? Yeah. So uh, it's not smart if you run over assigned power or way harder than your <laughs> abilities. So I think uh, that was one of the reasons I managed to pull off this win. Yeah. And when did you feel like you had it? Then when, was it you know once you got to the lead, or was it like you said with five k to go, you 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 kind of felt like you had the win? Um. The first good sign on uh, my victory was uh, seeing that Vincent uh, had a time penalty. Mm. So then I knew like, okay, I don't have to run him down at least. So now like the podium is within reach. And then I saw Alistair by the side of the road. And uh, I knew, okay, then I don't have to run with him. And then I only had like, I think 20 seconds up to the leader, even though I was one minute behind in T2. So mm. I had taken, taken 40 seconds pretty early on and I didn't feel like too bothered about the run pace that I knew uh, that uh, my chances to winning was getting big, bigger and bigger for every step. That's fantastic. Any plans for the, the prize money that you won or is it? <laughs> I mean, first I have to pay some taxes to the US, I think, to get them out of the US. 
Yeah, and then I have yeah. to pay taxes to Norway. So uh, in the end, <laughs> it's not that much left after 100,000. <laughs> so I think I just have to be wise and then invest or save them. And Good maybe man. move out because I'm still living with my parents when I'm back home. So yeah. uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, or I haven't moved out yet. So I guess I have to looking for somewhere to live. <laughs> but, yeah, but you, I mean, when, when it's a typical season, are you actually home much between camps? You know, I know you guys train in Spain a fair bit and then all your races around the world. I mean, no, that's, I why, I, that's why I haven't moved out because it would seem stupid to buy something or especially yeah. rent something and not be there. So yeah, yeah. Uh, when I'm buying something now, it's partly to live it myself, but also just to invest my some of my money to in uh, like um, yeah a home. Well, mate, it's just fantastic and huge. Congrats! I, I'm all too. I know too well the the, the tax ramifications of some of these big checks, but it's. Uh, it's great that the sport has it. I think the PTO did a fantastic job in putting up, you know, a, a really decent prize purse. Um, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. And also that the money went so deep. It mm. was really cool to see how much people fought for the top 20 place. Mm-hmm. Like to see mm-hmm. the times between like 10 to 20 is like literally minutes there. Yeah. And I don't yeah. think it's ever been this close before. And I think, uh, yeah, we can thank PTO for that because everyone was just fighting for every place to get like slightly higher price money. So it was really cool to see. It is fantastic. I remember we, we once had the high V triathlon in Des Moines, Iowa, and they that you've qualified for and they had the top 30. And I remember 30th place got paid $3,000 or whatever. So everybody got a a paycheck that if you qualify, you want. And I really think that's a fantastic way to do it. If you can make it happen, obviously you got to have the, the, the huge um, prize purse to pay out and make it happen. But I do like that, that look, if you finish, if you qualify for this event, it's basically rather than appearance money, here you go, you know, finish the event and you'll be on your way. So I think it's fantastic. What I'd like to do is just, Tell us, you know, learn a little bit more about you and your background. I know you're only 24, but let, let's wind the clock back just a little way. Um, and when did you first sort of find your passion for endurance sports? Um, I think it's basically been there my whole life. So I really love just <laughs> being outside. So I'm living in uh, outside of Bergen and we have some beautiful mountains here. I have like trails for yeah many miles just outside my door. <laughs> And we have like the fjords, we have so many beautiful sceneries. So I always enjoyed being outside, especially mm-hmm. running in the mountains and, and cycling. But I think running in the mountains was uh, like my number one thing when uh, when I first started endurance sports. So, um, but I started as actually a professional, or not professional cyclist. I started as a cyclist when I was nine because my older brother and sister was doing it. So, of course, I had to do it myself. <laughs> and uh, before I started cycling myself, I just had to look at them race. And that was extremely boring. I had to, like, sit down with my parents watching them race. And I couldn't <laughs> do it. And I was so jealous. So that's how I started. I love that. I love that. And then when you started biking, you, you had the running around you. You know, when was it that you sort of realized, hang on, I'm actually... I'm actually reasonably good at this. Was there a point in time that that kind of clicked? Uh, I have been a talent my whole life, actually. So right from the start from cycling, I was really good. And I had uh, multiple second places in the Youth National Sarah Championship in cycling. 
I never won, but I have like extremely many second places. So it's kind of bitter <laughs> that I, I didn't won, but at least the podium is it's still okay. Yeah. And was it always road cycling or were you a mountain biker? or, or uh, Yeah, only, only road cycling. Yeah. And, and in uh, in Norway, um, is it Tor Hushoff, who's the, the legend up there, right? Is yeah. He, was, do you know him? Is he a friend of yours now? No, I don't know him personally, but uh, he has been like a, a huge hero of my own life. So, uh, so he was a very big inspiration when I was younger. <laughs> That's awesome. And... Okay, so you, you, you've realized that you've got some ability here. When did you decide to find triathlon and, and 100% commit to the sport? It was when uh, I realized that uh, to become uh, a big star as Tour Hussaud and like winning Tour de France or something, I had to only ride my bike and I had to, uh, I couldn't really run anymore because I thought like cyclists, they don't run, they only ride a bike. And I didn't want to only ride my bike because I enjoyed uh, running as well. Mm-hmm. So instead of like uh, retire from a running, I instead found triathlon and decided to learn how to swim as well. Is that um, when I had Christian on? He spoke about Alid, uh, your coach Alid's. How do I pronounce that? Sveiten. Sveiten. Thank you. Um, did he was? It seemed to me that it was almost like a program was put in place, and then sort of reached out to find athletes to come in is that how it worked yeah so that's why that was how i found out uh, out about triathlon so mm. the national federation invited to uh, like an open uh, gathering for all the youth in norway who could possibly think of uh, becoming a triathlete so i think we were like 20 youngsters <laughs> all shipped to oslo to have a weekend together and out of that one weekend, we have so many athletes there. So uh, it was a it was a huge thing to do, like just uh, select those random uh, youngsters to to come over, and then something good uh, came out of it. Both me, uh, Christian, my brother, and uh, Lotte Milla and uh, and Kaspastunas. He came the year after, but he like he started there. So mm-hmm. like basically all the all the athletes came from there. It's incredible because, you know, when I was coming through the sport, it was very, we didn't really hear too much about Norway and Norwegian athletes in in the sport. And then it was kind of like Christian Blumenfeld, who's this guy, you know, the, and he starts to charge towards the front in some of these ITU races and we start to get this little whiff. And then come 2018, when you guys, uh, was that the year you guys went one, two, three? Was it 2018 it was? You went yeah, one, two, three. The World and you guys, that in itself really was like, okay, we're here. That was. Did you feel like that was the statement that, okay, now Norway's truly here when the three of you went on that podium? Yeah, that was the team statement. Before that, we had the Christian really performing mm. at a high level. And uh, I was somewhat up there. I had won a couple of uh, World Cups, but mm-hmm. nothing big, like in, in terms of like the international stage. So when it first came there with the three Norwegian guys on the podium, that was on the team had a breakthrough for sure. Mm. So it was uh, so it was a testament to our training program and our team that uh, we we could do that. Yeah, I, I think you know back before the World Triathlon Series started, we had the World Cup and 
as Australians, we used to, we had quite a few one, two, threes at, you know, whether it be Antisivirus in Hungary or wherever we went, we did, we had a kind of a dominating time there for a while. But I believe you guys were the first, once it's changed its name to the World Triathlon Series, you guys were the first country to go one, two, three. Am I right? They're, I think the women have done it. Yeah, on the male side, we were the first. So yeah. the Norwegian team was going to be the first to, to do that. That's pretty, I think <laughs> pretty that's strange. Phenomenal. Yeah. I think phenomenal. And I guess looking forward, um, when it comes to the mixed relay at the Olympics for the first time, uh, what's it like with, you know, well, obviously you've got to pick the three, the two men that are going to race, not three. Um, and you guys, like you said, you've got yourself, uh, Christian and Casper, that seem to be the three standout. And then you've also got to find your women and the, the, your young women are, are actually starting to show some potential. You actually could have a very strong team come the Olympics. Yeah, I think we surprised ourselves with uh, our Hamburg performance just mm. outside of the podium. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I didn't believe that we had it in us to uh, to pull that off. So that was so, it was one of the coolest things that I've done this year to, mm-hmm. to race the team there. Especially like, we did some team races before, but we always struggled to not be lapped because uh, we had... Uh, some not too strong girls on the team or not they were just like really fresh in triathlon so we just like throw them in the relay just to race the race even though they weren't ready to do uh mm. a relay on that level so uh, to come forth in uh, hamburg that was so cool mm. so that showed that we actually have a potential to to do something in tokyo with one more year of training well i think that was the one of the the benefits of having this year being, you know, having the Olympics move back a year is, yeah. is countries like yourself, you get the extra year to keep developing, um, you know, and, and, and that was actually evident, you know, come Hamburg where you guys did have that fourth place, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And then in 2019, mate, let, let, let's go forward there a little bit. 2019 seemed to be just your year where, again, you got third at the WTS in Bermuda and then you went on this string where you, you got fourth at the Tokyo test event. Um, did that qualify you immediately for the Olympics for Norway? Uh, no. So we have like uh, not any results that can make you able to race. So we have like the Olympic Committee that uh, decides by themselves who is going to race. But I think uh-huh. it's quite obvious that it's going to be me, Christian and Kaspar unless something crazy is happening the next year. Mm. And were you surprised with that that race in Tokyo? They said, you know, it was ex- very hot, extreme conditions. Were you prepared for the heat? Uh, I surprised myself somewhat because I didn't really have the best shape going into the training camp, the last training camp we did before the race. Mm. So we were in first in uh, Fontromeux in the Pyrenees, training there. And I got dropped by basically everyone on the, on the swim sets, on the bike sessions and on the run sets. And I wasn't feeling uh, too great. And I came to Japan, uh, I think, 10 days before or something to prepare for the heat. And I wasn't in great shape there either. But at least we did a heat prep perfectly. I think we couldn't do the heat prep any better. Hmm. So despite my general shape being quite lacking, I I still was able to to get fourth. So uh, I surprised myself a bit. And I think mm. with the right preparation, I should be able to uh, 
to bump up the fourth to something even better next year. <laughs> Good man. Hopefully. Good man, of course. And when you say perfect heat prep, you just mean the amount of days that you had there or what were you doing specifically in terms of heat prep? Uh, I mean, I have to have some secrets going into... Uh, uh, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we had uh, both uh, just spending the days there. Like, that's obviously the most important thing. Just uh, have some time in the heat because mm. you can't only do, like, smart heat training. You have to actually be in the heat or else you won't be able to perform. But mm. also, of course, it won't. you can't let the heat prep get in the way for the good sessions. So if you're too... Uh, tired from all the heat to be able to form on the hard sets then uh, like the heat prep isn't as effective either because you're losing quite of the general fitness mm. so i think we find a good balance between getting used to the heat and also having high enough quality on harder training well it's kind of like if you get yourself very fit it's amazing how you can handle all the other variables so much easier, right? I mean, and the problem with adding too many variables into your training, whether it be heat prep or altitude training or whatever it is, it can just sap the body, you know? Um, Excuse me. So it's kind of balancing that really well. And I think you guys seem to be doing that. You, you, You get tested a lot, right? You know, you guys are doing a lot of research and testing every few weeks. Yeah. So I think the the testing part is one of the reasons why we can uh, do the heat prep as good as we did it. Because uh, even though we didn't do any testing in Japan, we still had a lot of uh, controls during our training. So we have like lactate and temperature measurements and everything. So even though the temperature was high, we still uh, knew exactly how hard the body was uh, being pushed. We couldn't just rely on like heart rate because obviously the heart rate is going to raise when mm-hmm. uh, the temperature is rising. So uh, we try to control as many variables as we could with uh, as many like devices as we could find to just stick in your body. So uh, I, <laughs> I had a lot of uh, trips on the bathroom to, uh, to insert the temperature pills. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's the whole point of a test event too, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you want to come out, you want to leave leave the test with as much information as possible to get ready for, for the actual games. Yeah, um, and that was actually one of the things I did with uh, the test event. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to make it a safe race for myself. I wanted to explore my body and how it would react. So on the bike... I rode so much harder than I normally would do in this type of event. And mm. not because I was that far behind up the water, but even when I like was in a group, I was constantly in the front, constantly pushing pretty high powers. And when I got like in a front group, I was still pushing in the front. So um, I think that was, was one of the things that has made me ready for the next year's real deal. Because mm. I was really pushing it out there. Yeah, well, I think I think all of that information is going to go with you beyond even Tokyo Olympics next year. You know, potentially, you know, your longer course racing, Ironman, whatever it is. You, I think all of that information, you just start, you know, you start adding it all up. That that knowledge that you're generating is just so invaluable going going forward. Then the, the next race was was it two weeks later? You're now in the grand final of the World Series in Lausanne. And again, you put together a magnificent performance. You came fourth there again, right? Yeah. And uh, still, I wasn't feeling my greatest, uh, especially on the bike there. I was kind of struggling to just uh, 
stay in the front pack. But I had uh, a good swim for being me, so I didn't have to chase too much on the bike. And mm. on the run, I was like on and off the first group, kind of struggling. But in the end, I managed to find uh, some leg speed and uh, and finish in fourth, which was great. But it was so good to see Christian finally take mm. his win after mm. so many like podium finishes after so many years. He finally took his uh, win, so that was so cool to see. I, I, I'm with you. I was so excited to see the guy that's just been there for so many years and he's finally, when he when he kind of slowly just edged away from, from Mario and Vincent and, and I was like, ah, finally he looks like he's going to have to way to do it. The yeah. first like three Ks, he was running like stupidly fast and then he decided <laughs> like, nah, I'm not going to run to run this pace the whole way. Slow yeah. down, let them get to his feet and then just running like hard again to just drop <laughs> them. I was so funny to see. Not for me, yeah. the race, but like afterwards, it was funny to see. Yeah, well, you would have been—you would have had a pretty good bird's eye view at each of the turns around. You would have seen exactly how he looked or how he felt. And <clears throat> were you yelling out for him or anything, or do you just focus oh, on no, yourself? No. But I, <laughs> I, I actually, I, I tried to give him a high five on the last like uh, one eighty because then I knew like he was going to win. And I like, I'm handing out my, uh, giving up my hand. But he just ignores it and runs straight past. <laughs> that was a bit awkward, but, uh, <laughs> but it, yeah. it was okay. He he did win, so it was okay. Yeah, you're like, hang I, on. I it afterwards, yeah. Yeah, it's like no, I'm just waving. I didn't want to high five either. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but it then was the part we knew about Corona, so. yeah but we were allowed to touch each other back then i remember those days and then but the beautiful story to all of that is then you know you've you've had these couple of falls at some of the biggest events of 2019 for the for the world series and then you're off to nice and that was the following week if i i'm correct right uh was it the following week yeah it was the following week nice france you decide to ride a a road bike at 70.3 world champs what was the sort of thought process on that? I think it was uh, the only wise choice I could make uh, by by cho- choosing my road bike because it yeah, obviously was one week later and we had to travel and uh, I didn't really have too much time to adjust to my TT position. So mm. uh, And also, of course, the race course in Nice was absolutely insane with all the uphills and downhills and everything. So it was a rumor saying like I didn't have a TT bike. That's not true. I actually had a TT bike. The problem with a TT bike is that is that it didn't have any brakes, and to ride a TT bikes without any brakes in that course would be uh, suicide. <laughs> what do you mean it had uh, no brakes? <laughs> it it didn't have any functioning brakes. So oh. when I rode it in Bahrain last year or in 2018, I had like a half functioning front brake. But that course didn't really matter because it was back and forth almost or a bit yeah. on a on a Formula One track, but I didn't really need my brakes. Mm. And I tried to fix them and my brother tried to fix the brakes, but uh, nah, it didn't work. So <laughs> then I just choose my road back instead. And it really didn't matter. Like you said, with the course being so dramatically climbing and then descending, the road bike must have felt absolutely fantastic compared to a TT bike. Is that, you know, that's where you really tended to make up a lot of time in, in that race. Yeah. So people were making out this to be a huge thing, like riding, riding mm. a road bike instead of a TT bike. 
But the aero rod bikes now are getting insanely aerodynamic and uh, with the disc brakes and everything, I don't think it's too much of a difference like in the frames between like a TT bike and a road bike. But of course, the position is like night and day. But mm. I had a pretty good position on my road bike, especially when I had like this long aero uh, bars on. So mm. I think uh, I think the difference wasn't that big. But if I was going all in for only that race and I had like unlimited access to all the equipment, I think I would choose a, a TT bike on that course also. Still, yeah. yeah. Now, when you when you got off the bike there and Alistair Brownlee is with you, I mean, multiple gold medalist, basically one of the greatest we've ever seen do the sport. You know, what was your mindset when you, you headed out onto the run? I was really positive the first K because then I had a, a slight lead. Because mm. I had a really fast uh, T2 compared to uh, Ali and Rudy. Yeah. So then I was feeling quite okay. But uh, in the first aid station, he came bla- blasting past me. He didn't even stop for drinks or anything. I was just like, okay, I need some energy and water. I'm going to run a half marathon now. Uh, <laughs> but he just like, nope, just ran straight past me. I had a chance to, to hold this back. So just... Uh, let him go, and I saw him like increasing the lead step by step. Um, and I kind of settled to second place is also quite okay behind uh, the double Olympic champ. So I was yeah. kind of like, yeah, second is also quite good. <laughs> but then my brother on the sideline came up and he said, Alistair has blown up before. Don't give up. Just like keep going. And I was thinking, yeah, it's true. He has blown up before. So if I kind of try to push him a bit, maybe I could uh, could take him in the end. And then mm. when I went to the, I think it was like 6K into the run and I started to gain massively on him and getting up to his back and then just running past him and gaining a lot of time for only like 50 meters before a 180 turn. I knew that uh, I had a, a shot of the victory. Mm. Was it a conscious decision when you? I mean, when you you run up onto the shoulder of Alistair, were you thinking, okay, do I run here for a little bit? Do I surge? What was your your thought there? My plan was to cut catch him before the headwind because it was slight headwind going back to the finishing shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a plan just to to be in his uh, in his back there. But he had a, a weird running pace. Like it was kind of like a a pretty fast pace, but not as hard as I wanted. And also his stride. I think his stride was longer than mine. So I had to really watch out being in his back because it didn't match with my running technique. Mm. And mm. Uh, I'm not like used to running behind him. I mostly just run run behind Christian, and he has like really <laughs> high, he has a really high frequency and a really yeah. like short legs. So I can run really close up to him without him touching my feet. But with Ali, he had like a longer stride and was like really hard actually to run behind him because yeah. I felt like he was going to kick me all the time. So instead of like trying to relax behind him, I just went for it straight away. Isn't it funny? Like you get so used to getting into somebody's rhythm, your training partners or, or whoever it is, and yeah. you start to run behind somebody. And Alistair, I mean, he is six foot one, I think. I mean, he's actually quite tall. Yeah. You know, you don't. I, I don't know. I, my wife, you know, we were up watching you guys, you know, 
at Daytona and she's like, I didn't realize you were so tall. You know, like, I don't know what it is when you're watching it on TV or whatever. And, and then in person, you know, he is actually six it foot one or whatever. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it yeah. could be really long sometimes. And it isn't it funny how if you're running behind somebody that just doesn't have the same kind of stride, it just upsets your own. Yeah, rhythm. it's really it's hard like, to oh. relax. It's actually hard yeah. to relax, even though it's like slight uh, advantage to be in the back. It's harder to relax and therefore you kind of lose more energy in the end anyway. Yeah, so so you just went straight around him and was there a surge then? Was it a, like a conscious, okay, let's go for it for uh, 500 meters or something? No, not really. It was kind of like a small acceleration going past them, but not really a surge. Mm-hmm. And then that was it. You felt good the whole rest of the run and suddenly you're a world champion. How did your life change after that world championship? Uh, it really changed. It was uh, It was unbelievable how much more attention it was for me winning there than like anything i ever done before hmm. i what? i was so lucky that i signed with my manager adam the week before in Lisan <laughs> because uh, i got so many requests from like media from sponsors from like everyone wanting something and i just uh, said to them i don't do any of that just talked with my manager and he would like sort things out because I had like no media training or anything, so I didn't really know how to, to tackle all of that stuff. So it was mm-hmm. quite new for me. A quick mini break. I really want to encourage you to do something special for yourself and sign up to Athletic Greens and get a free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase by visiting athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Yeah, you seem very comfortable though. I mean, obviously you've had a year now of practice, but you're quite comfortable to talk about your racing and, and, and what you've done. And it's okay to, uh, to talk about myself and everything, but to decide uh, like who to uh, to talk to and not do too much of everything and uh, yes, yes, like yes, contracts yes. and everything and realize yeah. what's your worth. I think that's the, like, the hardest part. I mm-hmm. think I just would have signed the best deal that came first. Like the first deal that came to me, I'm taking it. Like, <laughs> let's take the money and roll. But he, uh, I th- he has like uh, a bit more smartness to him, so I, uh, I think he get more my worth out of it. That, that's brilliant, and that's a constant, by the way. I, I, for my own career, and I know you know, hanging out with Chris McCormack and Craig Alexander, we'd all be you go on long bike rides, and we'd all be trying to figure out what is the worth, what uh, what is the value right now, you yeah. know. And it's a constant changing and and you want to talk to your mates, but you can't really talk dollar numbers or anything because you can't, you know, you're not allowed to do that. And so you're just always trying to figure out, well, what is my worth if I'm going to talk to this bike company? Well, what is a normal bike salary? And you don't know if you're being taken advantage of or not. So I appreciate that. And who did you end up signing with for bikes? Was was it Giant, right? Yeah, Giant. And uh, it's kind of uh, multiple reasons why I signed with Giant. Firstly, because, of course, the, the bikes are great. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love the Propel. So that's what I've been riding uh, this year. Uh, also, the the relationship with Taiwan I got now. So uh, <laughs> Yeah, tell me about that, because that's a funny <laughs> little side story. And I know you've told it a few <laughs> times, but please share it. Yeah, oh, that's why I brought up Taiwan, because I wanted to tell it again. 
So yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> so while I was winning in uh, Nice, I had this uh, strange-looking hat on me, a hat that I found in uh, Japan, and I just started using it without really knowing where it was from or what it was what it was saying. It was the Taiwanese uh, writings on it. So the finishing pictures of me holding the the banner up, smiling, kind of screaming. That went viral in Taiwan because of my hat. And the hat just said like a location for a temple in Taiwan. So the hat is from a temple there. And the temple is actually located like 50 k's from the giant headquarters. Wow. So when I w- went viral in Taiwan, the, the marketing director or what you can call it, call it, they said like, we really want to sign Gustav. So that's one of the reasons why I signed with uh, Giant because I had like uh, a good connection even before we even we signed the contract and before we even started working together. I find kind of felt we had a kind of had a connection there. That's that's a brilliant story. I love that. I love that it all just came together. That here you are just picking up a hat on the roadside. All of a sudden you're winning seventy point three world champs with it. You go viral in Taiwan, which. In itself is comical. I love that. And then you get Giant, who's based in Taiwan, so the world's biggest bike company, says, oh, we want you on our books. I just think that's a brilliant little story. And and now are you a little bit superstitious with that hat? Is that hat now going to be with you for, for the rest of time? Uh, no, I don't, I don't want to say I'm superstitious, <laughs> but uh, I feel like it's a really cool thing. And it's not yeah. just like something uh, I do for publicity. Or something. It's just like it's actually a really cool story. And, it is. It uh, is. I constantly check, like, because the hat has its own hashtag or like the location. So mm-hmm. I sometimes go into to check how things are going down there on location tag. And I have like it's multiple people still visiting the temple every day and like posting pictures. And the temple has a picture of me outside of it. And uh, it's really cool to see how like the community has changed because of my victory in this. So they have actually wow. sold or given away 170,000 of these hats there. <laughs> and to just think how many people that actually is, is like, it's a whole city. Wow. And the people coming from all over Taiwan to have like a pilgrimage to that temple, cycling, and just pick one up and uh, yeah, bring them good luck or like uh, inspiration to train or do triathlon. So yeah. it's not something that uh, is about myself anymore. I think the the temple hat is more like it's something you do to uh, yeah to do better in sport to motivate yourself to train more or to do better in competition. Gee, that's brilliant. Did you you must have visited the temple yourself when you signed with Giant? Did you do that? Yeah. So I both visited the temple and I actually got the honorary citizenship of Taiwan. Wow, <laughs> is that right? Yeah, that so is... I have like the, the plaque hanging above my bedside, uh, reminding me constantly that uh, I have been in Taiwan and uh, I have honorary citizenship there. So My goodness. Was, yeah. That is absolutely, what a great story. And I mean, you, you, you wore the hat again in Daytona, I saw. I, that yeah. was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so no, my, my manager has like hold off my my head sponsor so uh because obviously the head is quite valuable in terms of sponsorship because that's uh-huh. on every picture 
Yeah, but yeah. I said like maybe we shouldn't sign anything until something really huge is coming because I really want to enjoy my relationship with Taiwan as long as possible. So oh, I'm still free man. to wear to wear what hat I I want. So. Uh, I really oh, enjoyed that story. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I love the I love the fact that you've you've got a good manager and and you'd signed him the week before. Um, it just felt like everything is everything fell into place at the right moment at the right time, and all of that is just such a great story. And then you were able to generate some decent income through some endorsements. Now you've backed up all of that up because a lot of athletes can have that world championship and then almost struggle to ever repeat or, or have another moment like it, but you've already, you've now done that by winning Daytona. So now there's that, I don't know, sometimes there's a little bit of a, an intrinsic pressure that we put on ourselves to re-perform. Yeah, I actually that was quite a lot because uh, even though my performance in the World Series or World Cup this year has been stable, it hasn't been at the mm. highest level. I haven't really won anything big this year except mm. uh, a local triathlon in Germany that I was invited to race, the Ratingen mm. Triathlon. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really win anything. So I was kind of uh, feeling bad almost that I have tricked my sponsors into signing me after one good race and mm. that uh, I didn't like maybe deserves, deserve the deal that I got. But it was really good to uh, repeat it in Daytona and really show that I'm here to stay. Yeah, I mean it's very it's very normal to feel that way. I think you throughout you you know you're still so young. Over this next ten to fifteen years, there's going to be moments where you feel an intrinsic pressure to perform again and again, or you know whatever. But I think by getting that first big win back after sort of a, the initial big win a year ago, I think often is what it takes to go. Okay, I do belong here. I am. Yeah. I am allowed to be here and, and I, I am worthy of being here. So I think it's great that you you, you got that win. And w- was there much a, of a trend happening in Taiwan after you win in Daytona? Did the, the broadcast make it there? Uh, yeah. So, uh, of course, they uh, now they have the eye on me for, uh, for what I'm doing out there in the big world. So I think uh, it got some attention over there as well mm. this time. How, how, you seem... You know, for 24, you're very confident. Were you always this confident or has that just come through hard work and, and, and just getting p- feedback from your performances? I have sadly always been this confident. So, uh, <laughs> sad I, about it. <laughs> yeah, because no. I come across as arrogant sometimes. No, 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 no. I, my confidence can be a bit too much in some uh, cases, especially for the ones who is not like really into sports. And mm. to be like me and talk about, yeah, I'm going to win Daytona. It's like, you just said you're going to win Daytona. How are you going to say that? Like, because I really think I'm going to win. But I think like the arrogance can uh, be a bit uh, bothersome for some. But if you're in like the sports uh, environment, I think it's just like, you know, it's just confidence. It's not something you try to uh, be smug about. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I mean, it's a very fine line. I think sometimes there's confidence and arrogance. And it was funny when I had Jan Ferdino on the show and we were talking about this same kind of thing. And uh, and I'll never forget that um, I met Jan's mom at a race in Mexico in 90, uh, 2006 or seven or something. And and we had a lovely time on the, on the beach after the race. You know, I think both Jan and I had had terrible races, but we had a lovely time. And anyway, Jan tells me later, oh, my mom thought you were really arrogant before. 
she met you on the beach in Mexico. And I, I said, why? Why would she think I'm arrogant? Because I really didn't ever feel like I was a confident or arrogant person. She, he said, well, when you won Hamburg uh, in, was it 2002 or whatever, you came across the line and you said, that was easy. And I, well, I didn't mean it like it was easy. I just meant the, the body had turned up. Do you know what I mean? Like you have yeah. those performances where the body yeah. turned up. Yeah. But for a number of years, she thought I was this arrogant, <laughs> whatever and uh, and uh, but it, it was just that i had felt very confident in the way i'd raced and it had come across on the broadcast that i was arrogant so it is I a very fine line <laughs> even harder now because so much of the communication outwards goes through social media and written mm. text and mm. to like communicate how you actually feel through written text in a short like uh sentence on instagram it's really hard so it's yeah. uh I often have to like moderate myself on Instagram because I want to write something I think is kind of borderline funny, arrogant kind of thing. But when yeah. I read through it or send it to my mates and like, is this okay to write? They're like, uh, no, this is way too <laughs> over the line. And I think one of the best examples was last year before Nice, I wrote, uh, guess the winner of the race tomorrow and then a signed poster from the winner, parenthesis, me. So I like... <laughs> I announced myself as a winner the day before the race, and I asked my brother, "You think this is okay to write?" And I was like, uh, "No, I don't think so." But I was like, "This is too funny to let go. I have to post it anyway." And then, of course, it went like really good, and everything went okay. But if I didn't win, I think it would it would be kind of strange to post something like that. Well, I think I think it it, it can come across arrogant if you don't know you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like once you yeah. know the person, you can hear the humor, you can hear the parody that's happening. But it's funny, my wife, Laura, and I are constantly analyzing everything we put on social media. And the amount of times I've actually had to start a notes section on my phone for everything I want to write on social media, but I don't dare saying, but I have to write it down just because it's <laughs> in my brain. So I have this yeah. whole thing. It's called things I want to say, but I'm not allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and because I you like you, I have my wife Laura to run things by. You have your brother, and it's kind of like okay, maybe I shouldn't say that, but boy, I really, really want to. <laughs> it's it's a harder world for you now, in the sense that when a lot of us came through, you know, you won a race, you got a magazine cover, and that was it. You're on your way. Now it's you know, you guys, you really almost need to have your own little media team around you. I mean, I know a lot of athletes do employ full-time people to run their social media pages and things are you having to do that or how's that working for you uh luckily for me i actually really enjoy instagram i enjoy like coming up with uh, fun text to write and i enjoy taking pictures and uh, editing them mm -hmm. so i think that's mm -hmm. a huge plus for me because instagram is not something i do for work or only for sponsors it's something i actually love and i mm -hmm. think or hope at least that it kind of shines through my content that I want to post this. It's not just something that my sponsors say you have to post. So yeah. I hope like I'm a, a good follow on Instagram. Mm. Uh, but in regards of hiring my own like media team, I haven't really gone that far. But uh, yeah, my brother loves taking photos. I love taking photos. So uh, I'm supplying the whole national team of Norway with pictures when we're in training camp. Oh, like, is that right? I, so basically, all of Christian's pictures from Instagram are taken by me. Is he giving so, you credit for those? Yeah, yeah, he's giving me credit. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not like <laughs> some secret uh, thing. It's yeah. uh, I'm really 
enjoy uh, taking photos. One time it kind of went wrong. I wanted to uh, to award myself a new camera with the prize money. I haven't won yet. So uh, I think it was four days before the World Series in Abu Dhabi. I went to a photo store there and I was like, okay, I'm going to win some prize money in a few days. I might just uh, buy this camera. <laughs> and, then I, <laughs> and, and then I think I came like 21st. Like the first, <laughs> the first spot without any prize money. So it's been a, that's a, like a curse for me now. I can't spend any prize money before I actually won it, even though I was in great shape. And I really thought I was going to perform there. So <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm not going to spend any of my prize money before I actually won them. No, fair enough. I think I think that's probably a good philosophy for all of us, by the way. Don't spend yeah. money you don't have, people. <laughs> you're welcome. That, that tip was for free. Yeah, that tip was for Now, your followers on social media have really accelerated, right? I mean, before 70.3 World Champs last year, how many followers did you have on Instagram? I think around 7,000. So decent, but not too much. Mm. And now and it's now? like 50 plus something yeah 50 plus and it's yeah. only going to go up it's only going to go up it's uh, I yeah, think, I hope uh don't, don't follow me that would be sad no no they only do that when you get political or something that's oh, usually okay. and, and instagram tends to twitter's the one where people defollow if you you say anything or do anything stupid which some of us have yeah. done accidentally yeah <laughs> but i mean going going forward you know looking at 2021 coming up you've already it looks like you're on the Olympic start line. You've yeah. already qualified for Kona, correct? And did I hear that you you don't have to validate? Is that right? Yeah. So because of uh, yeah, I, in the start I had to validate in uh, after my victory in Nice because I of course won in a half distance and to do like the whole distance mm-hmm. and everything you have to do a validation race, which is just to finish a race, not to perform there. Yeah. Uh, but because of COVID and before they postponed the race. They said, uh, you don't need a validation race. So Kona was supposed to be my first race in 2020. Then, of course, they postponed it first to February, I think. Yep. And then now, of course, they have it in uh, their normal time in October. So they took away the validation. And now it seems like Kona will be my first full distance Ironman. That's brilliant. And so, you know, you, you're gonna, how, how are you going to plan out next year when you... You're looking at the season. Uh, I will try to follow as much as I can of the World Series going into Tokyo, mm-hmm. uh, perform as best as I can in Tokyo. And yep. then after Tokyo, I will uh, have my full attention for Kona, I think. Uh, <laughs> because we have this World Cup in Bergen, my hometown. And uh, I really want to do well here also. Um, but... I also want to really perform in Kona. So I think um, all my energy will go towards Kona. Yeah. What's the date? Is the Bergen World Cup close to I the think Kona it's the uh, end of August, so not the greatest oh. of... Uh, mm. I, I was I was hoping it could be a bit earlier for our, my part, but uh, yeah, we need some... Uh, we need to have a good time slot for, uh, for the international athletes to come to Bergen also. And we can't have it too late because Bergen is going to be freaking cold if you have it too late <laughs> yeah. so uh, yeah <laughs> you know what what about 70.3 worlds next year would you worry about that one uh yes i think i will try to uh, make both happen but the kona i think will be my main priority after the olympics 
Good on you. Good on you. So, in terms of your physical training, now that you now that you you know you've you've had a big race for the year, you're having a bit of a break right now uh, through Christmas. Are you then, you know, what what's your in terms of physical training? What's that look for you like building up now over the next few months? So, I, I think I had uh, three sessions in Daytona now, and mm-hmm. I have uh, four days left of my both my quarantine and my season break. So Saturday will be my first day in the pool for, yeah, I think 12 days. Um, so that's going to be interesting to get back there. Uh, but my uh, my progression now in training is kind of slow. I have allowed myself to really uh, rest this time. Last year, I didn't really have any rest after this because I was also preparing for the Super League, which came after. And in 2018, I didn't really have any season break either so this year i have 10 days with like really season break gee that's not much though mate that's <laughs> i mean in fairness you're 24 and uh when i think when we were 24 it was kind of you we'd race in australia for you know 10 to 15 times and then go on the world series for 10 to 15 races around the world so we we basically did back-to-back seasons most of the time when we were, we were younger but we were living always in warm you know, in the off season, Australia was kind of happening, and then we would go, you know, north for the for the rest of the year. Um, what about you know with Christian and Casper? Are they on the same schedule as you then? Uh, no. So Casper had a season break much earlier because he had uh, a slight foot injury, which is better now. And uh, Christian also had this foot injury, so he took his season break while he was in Bahrain. <laughs> so they already have like uh, some weeks on me when I go back to training. So they will probably smash me in the start. But well, I think yeah. it'll come back for you. It'll come yeah. back. And what, what I want to tell you is how impressed I am actually with how well you are swimming for somebody who did start swimming a bit later than a lot of the other guys. Because you didn't start swimming till you were about 15, 16. Is that right? Uh, yeah, or uh, late 14. I started late swimming. Late 14. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you've just almost, you know, I think about it you've almost just started your swimming in time before becoming an adult. Do you know what I mean? I think it's harder yeah. for the ones that once you become a full adult and then, you know, your muscles are tight and you, you're trying to, you're trying to find that flexibility and things. And so, you know, your swimming now is, would you regard yourself as kind of a, a first pack swimmer at the back of the first pack swimmer in a world series race now? I think the problem with my swimming is that it's uh, too unreliable at my best. I am not the bad swimmer. But uh, mm. sadly, I had days like Leeds last year, which was yeah. an absolute disaster. I was so far behind everyone else, and it was so bad. And I can't even realize why I swam that bad, because, yeah, I am okay swimmer sometimes. So that's my problem now, to uh, to get my swim like on a more reliable um, yeah, performance. Because yeah, I, so- it's really hard to... Uh, to know how I can build up the races since I, my swim is just like a toy, a cost of toin, I feel. Because yeah, even though yeah. I'm good in the pool and good like in open water sessions, when I got to races, I'm still like either in almost in first group straight away or far behind. Is one of a, is there a preference over wetsuit versus non-wetsuit? Uh, no, not really. I'm kind of comfortable with both. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think always for me to get the swimming consistent, a lot of it was just getting in the open water as much as possible and just belting out 1500s or, or I always, you know, towing a, tow, a towel around the ankle and that kind of stuff to really build up the strength. Um, that if I maintain good towel strength pulling in, in either in the pool or the open water for two to three K straight hard efforts and things, then I always felt like I could go to a race and sprint and grab water and, and always felt pretty consistent with it. But I think it'll also come for you you know like it's just this once once you get so so fit in the bike and run that it almost just has to come you know how's your get out speed have you got good you know first 100 meter get out speed uh, no i think that's one of my problems i'm uh, quite slow actually uh in the what is <laughs> that but uh on the run i have quite a good speed on the bike i don't have too much power but i mean we don't need to push that uh, 13 1400 watts on a bike anyway no uh, and in a swim i am lacking a bit of speed also yeah well it, it'll it'll come for you I'm, I'm sure um what about you know when you get back into training here are you back straight into the lab are you guys going to get tested right away and you kind of set some base levels uh, yeah so uh, after christmas like in the start of january we're going to have uh, have the tests so i don't have too high hopes <laughs> being out <laughs> so much now especially not on a swim but hopefully we have a good baseline test and i'm able to to push through the whole weekend because we actually have a quite hard test so it's not just something uh, that you can do without any training to just go straight into our test regime because mm. we have a really hard and long test bike friday swim saturday and run sunday so over the three days we have like more than a race weekend of high intensity so straight I'm away sorry <laughs> that my general fitness is too low to even get through the weekend but we'll see hopefully i will manage well it's always i think it's always good to start the year with kind of low tests because then you can only improve yeah. you know if you if you come out of the gun swinging it's kind of like oh well now i can How only really wh- where am i going to go <laughs> from now on and that's boring to just maintain your ability you're yeah. always for sure uh, that, that, that's great yeah i know I, I mentioned those tests because when i did have christian blumenfeld on and, and he was saying that you guys were getting tested um about every six weeks or something is that about right are you guys still doing that much testing uh, yeah especially during like training season during the winter because then we have the time it's hard to maintain it during race season obviously because then we are outside in the world not have access to the lab so then we do mm-hmm. some uh, uh toned down version of the test just where we wherever we are with like this oxygen mask over bluetooth to the phone and uh yeah some simpler versions of it but we tried to have like this six week schedule well what christian said that he's had a vo2 test score of 89 or 90 i think he said that's old numbers that, now that's old numbers yeah yeah constantly improving you know you, you can even go higher what about yours uh i think my pr is uh, 92 now yeah get out running right you wouldn't be able to do that on the bike would you uh, that's on the bike yeah it was on the you, bike because you can mobilize more power on the bike because you can uh, recruit more muscles when you have like this uh set uh power to hold the like when you're sitting down and engaging the whole muscle in the leg you're engaging more muscles than while running because when you're running, you only have like the full muscle engagement when you are on the ground, not when you are like in the air. So that's why you can have a higher uh, BO2 max on the bike than during the run. 
Hmm. That's interesting. I know. Have you got to the point because you guys get tested so much that you're actually figuring out how to how to work the test to get these higher numbers? You can cheat it, but then my uh, my test uh, like the test responsible, he he'd get mad. So you can cheat it by like holding your breath for like fifteen <laughs> and then read more. But we get instantly. He he knows it straight away. He just looks at the data and just like you cheated. So yeah, of course, if you want just like this uh, bragging numbers, you can cheat the test. But what's the point? But these are these are some of the highest numbers ever recorded. You realize that? Yeah, I know. There, 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 would, uh, there wouldn't be many athletes in the world that are getting anywhere near that. Uh, no. So uh, that's why we're doing the test because we still want to know how to perform even higher. And it, I think it's getting harder and harder now to uh, to find ways to improve. But mm. when we're doing these kind of tests, we know what works and what doesn't work. So we're not stuck like half a year try uh, do some training that doesn't make us better. Mm-hmm. Just just for people listening, just so you have an idea, uh, uh, an average man's VO2 max is around 60. All right. Uh, generally speaking, a, a reasonable professional endurance athlete would be over probably 78 minimum, but 78 to 85 is probably has you in a, on the world stage and, and doing fairly well. So when we hear numbers high 80s and low 90s, we really are talking about the super freaks of the world. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that you and Christian and and what about Casper? Is he in the same kind of playing ground as you? Slightly uh, lower, so he is like mid to high 80s. It's still phenomenal. At that point, I mean. It, it, you know, you can't really do much more with your heart and lungs. I mean, it's now it's no, about... I think uh, the oxygen consumption is like my limited factor in a triathlon. So I don't think like going to 100 or something like this is going to mm. improve my ability to to race faster. So I think uh, it's more like uh, race smartness and swim speed especially. And, uh, it's like efficiency just, now. Yeah, it's really about efficiency, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that. What about your nutrition then? I mean, what did you eat during Daytona? Were you fueling much during that race? Uh, yeah, so, three, it was a three-hour race, so I mean, it wasn't probably too much fuel needed, but. Uh, yeah, so I probably went a bit overkill on the nutrition, but uh, I have trained quite hard on improving my ability to uh, absorb carbohydrates during uh, hard efforts. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm sponsored by this company called Martin, who is mm-hmm. also helping, yep. uh, like breaking all these marathon world records. Because the how it works is actually really interesting, and it's uh, extremely mild to the stomach. So you can just you can just drink as much as it if you want. It's not going to absorb everything, but even if you drink like 200 uh, grams of carbohydrates during an hour it's not going to impact your stomach too much because uh, it's so mild. It's not like any other sports product I've used before. Hmm. So during Daytona, I had about 110 grams of uh, carbohydrates per hour of uh, race time. Wow. That is a lot. Yeah. And that's including like the 30 minutes start of like the swim and the start of the bike where I didn't drink anything. So it was slightly higher the first half hour on the bike, maybe like wow. even like a rate of 130 grams per hour. 
Just, just for again for people who are listening, is we were often informed, you know, basically a gram per kilogram of body weight was always a good indicator of what you should be taking in in terms of carbohydrates. So yeah, so now, like, generally speaking, it's like sixty to eighty grams is like considered mm-hmm. normal. Yeah. Yeah, and you're taking a hundred. What'd you say? Hundred and yeah, hundred and ten. And yeah. uh, it's it was more than I needed, I think. Uh, but it's always good to to know what you're uh, what you're capable of. Is and, it full of electrolytes as well? That yeah. Morton product. Yeah. yeah. What's so it? it in, yeah, sodium and potassium, magnesium. Yeah, What's so it look a, like? It's a full sports drink. But the funny yeah. thing is, it has no taste, yeah. and uh, it has no coloring. It has nothing except Perfect. the beer minimum. And it comes in these uh, bags, and one bag is one bottle. So it's really easy to know exactly how much you get of carbohydrates. So like you have one 750 or one 0.5 bottle, and you have 80 grams of uh, carbohydrates if you manage to drink the whole thing. So it's the simplicity over it. It's oh, extreme. That's it's so good. good. There was one thing I didn't enjoy about Ironman and long course was having to figure out all the math and trying to, you know, yeah. what have I had? What do I need to do? Yeah. And coming, being focused more on the short course, it was one of the things I really didn't enjoy was trying yeah, to always try something because we like math. <laughs> and yet we do because it's yeah. kind of like you said okay i've got a minute lead i've got 5k to go you know we you are con- doing math you have to convert one hundred thousand dollars into norwegian crowns how much is that <laughs> oh yeah and then hang on you forgot the tax rate oh. and how much <laughs> it's too much math yeah, but I, I think that Morton product is it. I think, uh, and tell me if I'm wrong, but is Jan Fedino using that and Javier yeah. Gomez? Are they both Morton? Uh, not uh, Gomez, but Fedino is using it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. So you're on a good product then. If, yeah. if, if Jan's doing it, that, that's fantastic. Now, what about um, in general health in your day to day, you know, nutrition? Are you supplementing with anything, you know, specifically these days? And and living in Norway, do you need to supplement with vitamin D and that kind of thing throughout the winter? Uh, no, because I'm uh, such a high amount in uh, like sunny locations, so I don't really have like deficiencies in uh, in the D uh, D yeah. vitamins. But I have a deficiency in B12, so I had to take yeah. that one. But that's the only thing I take. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and Perfect. also I mean- iron uh, if I'm uh, staying really high altitude, like in Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. That's two thousand three hundred meters above sea level. Then I have mm. to take some extra iron, like in the this iron pills, because or else you can get really tired really fast. Mm. Are you guys working with a you know because there is quite a, a stable team of you guys traveling and racing and you live in Bergen together you know well in the same city together for most of the year. Do you guys have like a, a nutritionist or a chef or anybody that's traveling with you? Uh, no, we haven't. Anyone is traveling with us, but we have like the the Olympic team who supplies uh, the nutritionist and uh, like taking care of us. So we have like experts on basically every every aspect of the sports if we need it. Luckily for me, I have been uh, extremely stable, like in bone density, in weight, in like being not sick. So I haven't had an in- special needs in like the nutrition department i'm just like eating normal food eating when i'm feeling for it not like starving myself to death or eating when i'm not feeling for it so i'm uh luckily i don't i'm not high maintenance in that kind of department 
Well, you, you're built strong, but not big. Do you know what I mean? Like you, to me, when I watched you raced in Daytona, and I actually saw you in the I hotel lobby. I'm actually a bit because uh, I am not that big, I think. But but I agree. If you look at picture of me, I look kind of uh, big. No, no, not big. Not at all big. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I would just say strong. <laughs> like how tall yeah. are you? Uh, 178. Yeah. Okay. So just under six foot, 5'11", I think, right? I, th- five, yeah. I think 5'10". Five ten, sure. yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But and then biomechanically, though, you look so sound. So when you watch your foot strike in the ground, it, you know, there's no, you know, massive pronation or anything else. You, you're quite stable. So I think with that, what I was trying to get at, I wasn't judging your weight by any means. More <laughs> just saying, you look like somebody that's going to maintain for a long time without breaking down. You know, yeah. you, you have that look about you, and that that's phenomenal to have you a craig alexander is a similar kind of body structure i would say and and he did all right for himself um and i and and that's kind of how i look at you you've got that kind of that raw biomechanics and that strength that um you know and once you get your swim up god help everybody i guess (laughs) yeah yeah, i actually feel the same so i'm kind of like strongly built so in the last three years the only injury that i really had was from crashing my bike and uh, bruising my uh, rib cage. Yeah, and that's not, that, that's that's not been, a real injury. That's yeah, that didn't even put me out of training. It was just like extremely painful and I had to race with it during Super League. Mm. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really have any injuries. So uh, no, that's racing. Awesome. Now, you mentioned your brother earlier. He, he's done all right for himself too, right? Is he still on the Norwegian program, you know, racing triathlons as well? Uh, only as a coach, not as an okay. athlete anymore. Okay. But he's still quite a reasonable athlete himself, I believe. He did Ironmans, didn't he, at some point? Yeah, he did long-distance Ironman, but the level there is not that high, you know? <laughs> 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 no, he, he did quite good. Uh, he did like <laughs> eight, eight, 19 or something in his first full distance, so it's uh, it's okay, yeah. Eight eight nineteen is actually quite outstanding. There, there's a younger brother really beating up on his older brother. <laughs> good, yeah, good great. If you knew how he trained, then like he's training yeah. uh, not as he's teaching his athletes. He's just training at random. So, I know. It, so it's it's so much easier to to preach than it is to do yourself. Yeah. You know. So you know you should so do that. It's quite good because uh, I know like we have a. Uh, like endurance at, or talent in the family because my brother obviously is really strong without training too much and my mother was a really strong cyclist before so uh, I'm uh, I am aware that I have a talent and I'm not putting it to waste. Uh, I love it, mate. It's been absolutely just so fantastic to just get to know you over this podcast i actually did see you in the hotel lobby the day before the race up in daytona and i was like oh do i go up you know i was like one of those fans and i didn't want to do it (laughs) (laughs) i I had a baby in my arms as well and it was a whole thing we were checking in so i didn't want to make a big thing of it but i really do appreciate you coming on this show tell me a a few places just before we go for people listening where where would you recommend that people go experience training in the world you've 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 mentioned a few throughout this this episode uh me personally really enjoy sierra nevada in spain Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. i realize that is not a place for uh, like a typical triathlete to train because it's nothing to do there and if you have like a wife or girlfriend who is not a triathlete and you yourself are a triathlete it's like 
it's not possible to uh, to tell them to come there because it's absolutely nothing except the training center up there. So uh, <laughs> if you want to have like uh, a family vacation kind of thing together with the family and also train a lot, I enjoyed Thailand quite much. Phuket. Mm. So yes, that was, yeah. that's, that's a good place to train. Surprisingly mm. good for cycling, actually. I had thought that it would be just like a traffic chaos and uh, like bad roads. But cycling there really surprised me. Mm. I agree. I enjoyed, I did the Phuket Triathlon a few times back, well, a long, long time ago. But I always thought it was an outstanding place to to go for bikes and even the running. I mean, it's, it's definitely a hot and humid. You're in yeah. Southeast Asia. It's definitely cool. But it is a, I think... That Phuket Triathlon, I think, is one of the, the best racecations I, I think you could probably do in the sport. So I, I love that part of the world. Um, mate, I have, this has been such a privilege. I know you've been flat out. I know you've probably done several podcasts and had lots of interviews. You've probably retold the stories many times. <laughs> We're all desperate to watch a race. We got to watch an outstanding one with you uh, in Daytona, mate. So I, I just really appreciate you coming on, and, and I'm a huge fan. I'm really looking forward to your double next year with the Olympic Games. Um, and then, the, of course, Kona. Uh, I think you've got a massive year. Hopefully the world settles down and we get to see you in full form. So thanks so much for coming on, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And I don't mind telling the story one more time. I think it's, it's really fun to talk about myself. So to give me an opportunity to talk about myself, I grab it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're a good man you're a very good man and i get it that's kind of why i started this podcast actually i'm like a lot of guys like to actually tell a story <laughs> or two i don't yeah. mind if somebody's curious about my life too so i kind of did it for that so um mate stay on the line i really appreciate you coming on this has been absolutely fantastic for everybody listening you can find all the show notes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media all right mate cheers Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.